we had Father Krullus and Father Joseph Dawood. Uh, both of them spoke to us about the first four steps that lead to spiritual warfare, or also known as the six steps that lead to temptation or the development of passion. We've seen everything in the last four steps over the last two Saturdays, and now we're going to have Father Anthony Ball. I'm not going to call him a guest because I'm going to say that this is his home, but hey, <laughs> let him get into that fight with the people from LA. Um, but Father Anthony Paul is going to lead us today in the last part of the conversation where we're going to talk about the last final two steps, which are also known as predisposition and the development of passion. They also come in different terminologies, just in case Father Anthony Paul is going to use different terms today. <laughs> so today should be a very good conversation for us to be able to wrap up the series that we started. Uh, so without further ado, we'll go ahead and say a small prayer. And then we'll leave it up to Father Anthony Paul to lead us in the discussion. I also see Father Joseph has joined us. Father Kolos is also with us. So you know what? Today might be a really good, uh, a good chance for us to have almost like a round table at the end to hear the thoughts and for us to bring all the six steps in together. So we'll go ahead and begin with a prayer. Uh, I'm just going to throw it out there for the sake of seeing if any of my fathers would like to pray. All right. O Heavenly King, the Comforter, the Spirit of Truth, who is present everywhere and fills all grace to come and abide in us, so good one. Purify us of all iniquities and save our souls through the intercessions of your Holy Virgin Mother, St. Mary, and all the saints who have pleased you since the beginning. Please will accept our gatherings. Bless our gatherings and accept our prayers and make us worthy to pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those trespass against us. Lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. It's all yours, Abba. Um, okay, uh, disclaimer, and it's not fake humility. I just learned what these words mean like last night. Um, so I don't really know anything about this stuff. Um, so when Joseph um, had to give me some tutoring last night. So um, I'm going to be all over the place because I don't know how to talk about this briefly which sounds like a contradiction in the sense that these two aspects of it are a whole way of life. So trying to reduce it in like an hour is not, is not going to happen. But, um, so I'm just going for headings. Um, and that every single one of those headings is its own series. Um, and that all of this is what should be the content of your confessions and spiritual guidance. Like this is how to build your your spiritual relationship is actually to come back to these things if you want your guidance to go somewhere because I think so many people come asking for help so generally how do I be nicer how to be calmer how do I be patient um, but it's it's if you ask a general question you're gonna get a general answer whereas like it's where you particularly struggle with so you guys to my understanding have went through the process of how an idea is presented or pitched. Um, I think that was, um, and disturbance, that was Abuna uh, Joe. And then um, coupling um, and ascent was Abuna Krunas. I'm really good at coupling. <laughs> I can teach how to couple very well because I do it all the time. Um, and so um now it's these last two phases. Uh, I think they're they're called uh, passion, and I'm forgetting one. What was the other one? 
I'm so nervous. What is the other word? Abba, help me out. Predisposition? No, the title of this talk, what is it again? Captivity. Captivity. Captivity, thank you. Okay, which is the phase, um, what I understand from this, and don't worry, I'm going to get into it, I'm not trying to be a clown, but um, is that this is that phase where you're kind of becoming an addict, or you are an addict. Um, so this is, this is the phase where you go from um, proposition from the salesman to action like right away. Um, and so you become in this state of constantly doing it. And then those steps that were in between are no longer there. So call it what you want. I'm not concerned about the names. Um, the, it's, to me, it's, it's, it's what's going on there. And, it's, and that's, that's what we're, we're talking about. Um, so we can all relate to this no matter where we are in life, because I think all of us um, are living in these two steps um, with different sins, right? They might, they might be different from one person to another. For one person might be lust and fornication. I don't know why that's the most popular these days because everyone's fixated on those. But for another person, it's anger. And for another person, it's jealousy. And for another person, it's arrogance. And for another person, it's, it's self-righteousness. There's, there's all sorts of things that, we, that we're addicted to. And then we give things different attention based on the social setting, I think. So I've got like a few headings. This is going to be more monastic than anything because the monks, um, I mean, Nina could have joined us, but he didn't. But the, um, the monks are the, the lab rats, if you will, for spirituality, right? So the gospel gives you the headlines and then the monastic literature gives us the, the experiments on how, to, on how to live those things. So it's helpful for us to go back to them to, to get there. So I'm just going to be giving some suggestions on how to deal with this situation. And then hopefully you guys have questions because there are at least three priests other than me in the room, which is great. Um, and then, then it might actually go somewhere helpful. Um, so number one is having an, a, a right mindset if you want to deal with this. Because you're not going to be able to deal with things if you don't understand what's going on. Okay, so like if, if, you're, if your car breaks down and you know nothing about your car, you're, you're, you're stuck. You don't know what to do. The light's on. I don't know what to do, right? If you don't know how to change a tire, if you don't even know what a tire is and the car stops, you're like, I don't know what's going on. You have to know what's going on if you want to be able to do anything about it, okay? So I'm going to use three different analogies because they're the same analogies, among others, that I use all the time, but just because it's helpful to keep going back to. Number one is that is this, this, this image of a clear glass with clear water in it, okay? This is your baptismal self. This is being the image and likeness of God, right? This is, if you have a clear glass with clear water, you can see right through it. You can see it clearly, okay? But as we <clears throat> sin or as we are injured or as we are exposed or as we, whatever, your fault, not your fault, I don't care, as stuff gets into the water or something happens to the glass, you no longer see through it very clearly, okay? So you might have food coloring in there and now you're viewing the world through this food coloring. You might have mud in there and now it's opaque, you can't see at all, right? There's all sorts of things that we do and those are the things we do with our, our will. Um, and those are the things that we do by being in a certain environment those things can color our water and so we might not be seeing clearly, 
okay? And we're always trying to return to that, that clarity. Um, health is what we're striving for. That's an algae number two of wanting perfect health, okay? And that we can make decisions that injure us or we can be injured by others um, that can cause us to lose health. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on them, but just to get the analogies out there that we're gonna use. Um, and then the, the last one is just the analogy of the car, of understanding that a car is designed, it's meant to do something, it's made of materials, right? And then if you treat the materials wrongly or if you use the device improperly, then you can cause damage to the car and it doesn't function as it's meant. But the idea that there's an objective function, there's an objective design um, that's set up, okay? So number one is to fix your mind to understand those things. So if you understand those analogies, then number one is be intentional in every single thing you do. This is not just for dealing with these two steps, but also can help you not get to that level in general, right? Be intentional. What am I doing? Why am I doing it? What does my action mean? Right? These are things I don't think that we stop and ask ourselves, right? What does it mean when I pursue this? What does it mean about me? What does it mean about my ambitions? What does it mean about my intentionality? What does this mean about my desire? Is this something in line with seeing clearly? Is this something in line with proper health? Is this something in line with how the car should run? Or am I actually trying to shove my pen into the auxiliary hole? Right? Or am I um, pouring syrup into the glass that's going to make me not see? Is to have that intentionality. Um, because if you stop and ask that, it might not stop you from doing the wrong sometimes, but it might slow you down. Because often what we need in these moments is a pause button, right, before going straight to it, right? And so by stopping and asking that, even if it's not in the moment, which I advise it to be in the moment, but even if it's not, it might slow you down. It might, it'll help you say, what do I need to do to prevent this? It'll help you know what to ask guidance for, right? Because your, your mind has become active. Because what, what most of us are struggling with in this phase is that we become mindless, right? That we're just, boom, do it. So I'm saying bring back your mind into the, into the process. And that by itself can be a really big help. Um, I'll give you an example. Um, there's a person that I know that, that is lucky enough to have regular access to the saints. And we're having a conversation once about um, communion and not giving communion um, when people are living in a state of sin. Because we're, we tend today, I'm one of them, to be um, like, you know, like the poor people, they're struggling. It's okay as long as he's trying his best. And we are a lot less comfortable with saying, maybe you shouldn't have communion this week, right? Um, and I'm not saying that I'm saying anybody who sins off with their head, no communion. But I'm saying that we tend to view it as our right and have this. Anyways, this person was like, yeah, no. He was like, you know what, you know what Pope Krolos told me? Um, he was quoting St. Paul from Corinthians. He's saying, he go, because many of you are approaching 
you are coming to Eucharist not discerning the body. For this reason, many of you are ill. That's St. Paul. Right? And the discerning the body is both Eucharist, the physical body and blood, and it's also the whole body of the Lord and sin. Right? So just this person saying that to me, right, fixes a mindset. It fixes my mind like, oh, whoa, I didn't realize that my behaviors could be the reason I'm ill. Not just spiritually, but even physically. Right? It's bringing your mind and understanding things. Okay? Um, so it's fixing your mind means being intentional. It also means fixing any wrong attitudes you have, right? Like I'm a victim. I'm just not able. Woe is me. These are, these are really common these days. We're a lot more soft. Um, no offense. Um, myself included. A lot of people get stuck in their sin. A lot of people get stuck in, in, in this phase, these phases, um, in this captivity passion phase because they're throwing themselves a pity party right so like yeah we have our moods i have my moods we all sometimes are, are are down no problem i'm not saying never never have that emotion i'm saying don't be governed by that right fix your fix your your mind um fix your understanding you're in a relationship okay because if you don't view yourself as in a relationship with god which everyone talks about relationship with god but many people don't act like they're in a relationship with god Okay, so if I'm in a relationship with Abuna Anthony, and I know that what I'm doing really affects our relationship, and I keep doing it anyway, then I don't really care about the relationship. I care about me in the relationship, which is not a relationship. I'm not in a dialogue, I'm in a monologue, right? Where that's what I'm saying, fix your mind and bring it back to remember that, oh, I am in a relationship. Right. And if I am in a relationship that might help me with my captivity and passion. Like I said, these are all general helps because we all have specific reasons for it, but I'm, I'm trying to go through it. This is all part of category one. Um, on one occasion, um, I'm going to, I'm going to use a lot of desert fathers. Forgive me. Um, on one occasion, certain philosophers came to the desert to test the monks. So you've got these Greek philosophers that are very ascetic, right? I use this in a, in a bunch of talks. Sorry for those who already heard that. So the Greeks did asceticism. It's not like it's only Christians that did. And so these Greeks are coming in to these monks to try them. And they're saying, yo, we do a lot of good things. So what's the difference between me and you? You guys have gotten famous. So they go to this one monk um, and, they, and they intentionally try him out. And they, they treat him like he's their, their subordinate. So they look at this one monk like, you, come here. Um, and he gets up and basically says, nah, I'm not. And he walks away. Um, and so then they look at this other monk and they say, you old man, um, you, you filthy scumbag in modern English, um, come here. And so he immediately came and went to them. So they slapped him across the face and he immediately gave them the other cheek. And they're like, okay, you're a monk. Now we can have a conversation. Tell us what is so different about you. You fast, we fast. You guys pursue purity, we pursue purity. What's different about you? And he said to them so simply, um, we watch our mind. That was his answer. We watch our mind. And then the philosophers responded saying, oh, we don't do that. Right? So that's what I'm saying. Guard your mind. Bring your mind, your intellect, your intentionality into everything you do. 
Otherwise, you're an autopilot. And that's when you're captivity. Turning on your mind says, let me stop. I want to stop. You have to intentionally, willfully bring the mind back into that. Um, second, these are not in any particular order. Service. One of the best ways for you to deal with your captivity is to serve other people. Because the reason why you're in your captivity and passion is because you're obsessed with yourself. I'm obsessed with myself, right? Anything you're captive to on some level is you choosing you over all other things. God, family, friends, church, people, humans, animals, whatever it is, you're choosing you. And so one of the best things to get out of it is to stop living around yourself, right? Like for those who have intellectual captivity and passion sins, right? I'm like, cause everyone associates it to lust and, and porn and masturbation and, and all that kind of stuff. But there are people, for example, um, who are obsessed with their own opinions, right? And so they sit there pontificating to everybody, right? Let me tell you why you're wrong. Let me tell you why this is wrong. Let me tell you why you're mistaken. Let me tell you why you're uneducated. Let me tell you why that priest messed up and this bishop is so stupid and why we're in a travesty and the church is falling apart and why this church is dumb and blah, blah, blah. That's one kind. That person is fixated on how right he or she is. And they might even be right, but they're obsessed with themselves right? As the bearer of truth. For another person, right? It might be um, they're gambling. And that person is saying, my thrill, my opportunity to win is more important than my family, is more important than the poor, is more important. And they're viewing the money as their own. They're not viewing it as belonging to someone else. And so you can serve by giving that money to the poor. That's what I think by directing whatever your issue is at others. So the person with the obsession with their own ideas can say, let me pause and ask, what are these other people thinking? Getting out of the self. Where are they coming from? How did they arrive at this? What can be a place to offer myself to them rather than to put myself above them, right? If it's the gambling, it's how can I use my money towards my family? If I have enough money to go gamble, I could instead give that money to the homeless guy in the corner. I could instead give it to people in the Innocence Project and look at people who have been wrongly convicted, right? It's, it's a mindset. Am I living for others? Because that's the gospel. That's health. That's the proper functioning of the car, right? Versus directing it at me, right? It has to be, service is a big way. Thinking about people helps you spend less time thinking about yourself, right? So I often suggest people do a thought inventory. How much of my thoughts are directed at me? I think, I feel, I want, I'm upset, I'm tired, I'm this, I'm that. Versus, I notice so-and-so hasn't been around. I wonder how they're doing. So-and-so told me they had a test. I wonder how they did. So-and-so looked exhausted. Let me check in. Um, So-and-so's... Um, mom wasn't doing so well what happened if i start thinking about others you automatically start to find yourself released from this captivity 
because you're not giving it authority. You're not giving it a power. You're not giving it attention. Right. And so you unintentionally, without giving it lots of thought, start to become removed from it. Um, this is way more profitable. That's what I'm saying. There are so many talks that can be done of this because this is way more profitable than this false repentance idea that a lot of us have where we sit there. I am filth. Oh Lord, I am disgusting. Woe is me. I dare not stand before you because I am a scumbag and I am the scum of the earth and I am so gross and nasty and filthy. Right. And I'm not saying there's never a time to think those things or say those things. I'm not mocking people who sometimes have those, but sometimes your repentance isn't repentance. It's a, it's a different kind of pity party and it's a different kind of self, um, obsession just in a negative a different kind of negative way right so your time spent there imagine if you're sitting there with your your friend and you wrong them and all you do when you're with the person is say i'm so bad i'm so bad or you get in a fight with your spouse i'm disgusting i'm horrible it's okay yeah like i forgive you we're good no 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 i'm so bad i'm so bad and I'm, I'm going to end up doing it again. Oh, I did it again. I'm so bad. It's not a relationship. Right? That, then your spouse might be like, okay, I'm so over this. It's not even that I'm mad that you're doing it. It says that we're, we're not even able to have a, a conversation. Because you just keep talking about you. Right? So I'm saying when you direct something outward, you start, you start to remove this obsession with the self. Right, and you can start to find yourself um, doing better with that. Um, our work with God, service, is a huge means of grace, and we're going to talk about grace further on. But it's a huge means of grace because once you get out of yourself, you're 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 putting yourself now in a position to be receiving. You're putting yourself in a position to be participating as opposed to isolating yourself, which is what captivity is, isolating yourself and letting your passions run wild. Um, so get out there and help people. It will also just reduce the time you have for the sin. Whether it's a physical sin, a mental sin, whatever it is, by doing more for others, by doing more good, you have less time for the wrong. And your warfare will naturally ease up because you're just not there. Right? The person who has the porn addiction, for example, if he's been spending or she's been spending hours um, serving other people, if he or she is like, you know what, I've got a skill in cooking. I'm going to just go cook and I'm going to drop off care packages at all the students' houses. Right? That's like, okay, I'm doing something fun. I like it. I like to cook. Um, I got out of myself. And so you might be tired and then you have your actual work to do. Then you have your homework or your school or whatever. You have the kids to take care of or you have friends you want to attend to. You might find like, oh my gosh, it's almost time for bed. And you didn't think about the wrong. Great. Right? You'll, you'll find yourself less and less of a captive. You still might fall, but you might not be a slave anymore. But there's another kind of work that has to be done, which is asceticism and again every one of these categories can be a series of lectures so forgive me okay asceticism has fallen out of style and i don't know why um because we need asceticism badly asceticism is not for monks and nuns it's not just for celibates asceticism is for every human being in existence 
okay? That is the bringing your body under subjection. If you don't do this, you will always remain a slave, period. There's no other, there's no other way, okay? So um, I'm going to go through a bunch of sayings um, of the fathers. Um, a brother asked Abba Shishoy, um, what good do I do in going to church? For often the devils recognize me and seize me. So this monk is saying, what's the point? Like, what's, what's the value in me going to church um, or struggling? Because this is a monk, so that's where he goes out socially, right? Because whenever I go, the devil sees me and he fights me. And the response of the elder is, get to work, right? That we, if you don't work, you're not going to get it anywhere. And that's what we all seem to have an aversion to, right? Where we, nobody wants to do work, right? Like sometimes people come in and ask for advice and be like, I don't know what to do. I'm struggling with this sin. And then it's like, okay, here's a bunch of tips. And then they come back and like, I couldn't do it. Well, what did you do? Nothing. And it's like, okay, I can only give you tips right? The fathers can only give us tips. The desert mothers can only give us tips. But at some point, you have to do, right? You have to use your will. No one can actually do your will for you. And that's, that's the thing. That's where the work is, right? That you have to do work, okay? So what does that kind of look like? Um, Abba John said, if a king wishes to subdue a city belonging to his enemies, he first of all keeps them without bread and water. And the enemy being in this wise harassed by hunger becomes sub subject to him. And thus it is in respect of the hostile passions. If a man endures fasting and hunger regularly, his enemies become stricken with weakness in the soul. What is he saying? Starve your enemy out. When you're out in a war and you have these enemies, cut off the food chain. Because now they can't fight you. They're weak. They're weak. And so what are, what, how do we starve out the enemy? By using your senses properly. That's how you starve out. This is how you get the water pure. This is learning how do I use the car properly, okay? So what does that look like? Because we're all in these struggles. Um, just see this link? There's a story of St. Peshoy that I really like. It shows you how human the saints were. We always talk about them glowing in the dark, etc. but there's a reason why they did that. Um, St. Peshoy, when he was with the Lord, because apparently he was there, um, when he was talking to the Lord, he wasn't like, oh, Lord, help me, like, shine, Jesus, shine, right? He wasn't like, oh, Lord, tell me, like, how I can be, like, so this and that. St. Bishoy wasn't like, okay, tell me all the stuff that nobody else knows. Nothing he asked was self-seeking. You know what he asked the Lord? What his request was from the Lord? He said, I pray you, Lord, rid me of one weakness. He was looking at how not pure he was. Anger. 
Tendashoi was struggling with anger. So he says to God, I pray you, Lord, rid me of my one weakness, anger. What did Jesus do? Jesus didn't say, ta-da, you are anger-free. Go get thee to thy monastery and be amazing and disciple people. He didn't. He put him to work and he said to him, this is from the Lord God of hosts himself. This is not from an elder and an Abba. This is from God, right? Whom he's worshiping and whom he's relationship. The Lord's response to him was, if you want to conquer your anger, Bishoy, be cautious not to reproach, insult, or criticize anyone. If you persist at this, your anger will be controlled. By saying, struggle with your self, with what you're doing. Clearly, Bishoy was, was, was criticizing people, reproaching people wrongly. Um, and it must have been wrongly because the Lord is the one who put him as an abbot. Like that's earlier in the story. The Lord had sent him to a monastery and said, start a monastery. So this is specifically something wrong he was doing. Sort of saying, no, guard yourself, guard this sense, this tongue. Watch what you're doing with that because it's linked to your mind. There's something going on between the two. And so when it enters your heart, you're getting angry. If you cut off this, you'll protect this and nothing will enter this. It's that simple, okay? And so there has to be asceticism, this, this, this self-deprivation, this putting the body into subjection. A certain brother was hungry one morning and he, and he fought against his inclination and determined to eat until the third hour. So here's a monk saying, all right, I want to eat. I'm going to wait until 9 a.m. Sorry, in monk world, he's soft. 9 a.m., like seriously, that's nothing, right? We've got monks who are like, and he had communion to break his fast, and that was all he had for like a month. Others are like, yeah, he made it three days, four days. This guy's like, I'm going to try and get to nine, right? And then he gets to nine, and he dips his bread in water, and he sits down to eat. And he says, nah, I'm going to wait till noon. This, we're talking about starving out the senses. So he waits till noon. And then he said, let's wait till 3 p.m. Let's wait till 3. And then when 3 p.m. came, he prayed, and he saw the work of Satan disappear like smoke. Why? Not because the food was evil. Not because God's asking us to starve ourselves um, and that. No, that's not the point. It's him saying... No, let me not self-gratify. Let me learn how to say no. There's nothing wrong with eating. I'm allowed to eat at night. Some monks don't fast at all from like food. She's like, no, it's not that. It's let me learn how to say no. That's what asceticism is. Asceticism is learning how to say no to yourself, even when the thing itself is not bad, not evil, not wrong. Because if you don't practice saying no to yourself on the small things, God help you in the big things. Right? Like, I, I'm, like I, don't, I don't want to get into any specifics because of people's confessions. I don't want to put them on blast. 
there are scenarios where something as small as not being able to just do something without praise can escalate all the way to adultery. It's so real. And, and when you get there, you're a slave because you haven't learned how to, to do things for the sake of the proper functioning, for the sake of seeing clearly. You're pointing it at the self. You have to be able to say no to yourself. You have to fast from, your, your will has to fast. That can mean fasting of the will, fasting of your body, fasting from money, voluntary living on a budget less than what you are living on, right? Even though you have more money. Fasting from decision-making, saying let other people make the decisions. Fasting from controlling things. Fasting from disciplining and exercising of power. Fasting from sleeping in, even if you can. Fasting from how you use your time. Fasting from podcasts or secular material. Fasting from excessive service because of your ego or your family life. Fasting from Facebook, fasting from social media, fasting from optional things. Abstinence, doing the opposite of what you want to do. These are all different ways. These are all different things, right? Like, like asceticism is a whole bunch of them. Metanias, charity. You have to learn how to say no, or you will remain in captivity. Because you're in captivity because you were not able to say no. So no asceticism, no freedom, period. No warfare, no salvation, Abba Anthony the Great, period. Without, without this discipline, we will not be saved. It is ridiculously hard at first because we've gotten used to pampering the senses, but it gets so easy. When a guy first starts going to the gym, it sucks. Getting up early, going for a run, lifting weight, getting on the treadmill. Oh my Lord, I hate, I hate cardio with all my heart, right? But when a person starts seeing health benefits, wow, I'm actually kind of like, I'm going up the stairs, I'm not out of breath, that's nice. I'm in the mood to go for a walk, that's weird, right? Um, I have ribs again, wow, right? There's, there's, there's these moments that you go through, you're like, okay, no, I kind of like this, right? And then you might even find the drag fun, right? When I discovered like, that I could listen to earphones when I would go to Ducard, it was like, oh Lord, this is less annoying. I can, I can do something I enjoy while doing it, right? It, it changes me, but there's work. There's work. And that working involves asceticism. You must have that. Number three, there are seven, and, I, and I'll, I'll rush through these, I'm sorry. Physically and mentally, place yourself in the right place. Okay? Have good friends. Don't surround yourself in an environment or with people or with anything that lends you to the wrong outcome. If I'm struggling with negativity, I can't surround myself with an echo chamber of everyone else who's negative. So everyone is like, yeah, and did you hear about this? Yeah, that's so dumb. Can you believe it? Check this out. Check this out. Oh, wow. You're so right. Look at this moron. Look at this idiot. Look at this guy. Right? If you are struggling with lust and you're friends, your way of socializing is to go to the club where everyone's half naked and grinding. 
sorry, not the place for you. Right? You're not, you're not doing yourself any favors. Right? If you are struggling for a Christian mindset, all of your friends are atheists. Right? If you're struggling in your marriage and you're and in your relationship and everybody around you is being like, you got to dump his sorry rear. Right? You, do, you don't deserve to be tra- treated like that. You're a person and you deserve better. And I can't believe that. So I always go into like North, like the Valley mode when, when I'm imitating those things. Um, No, because we're using the gospel. We're using health as the measure. We're not using societal standards as the measure. So if your friends have a different measure, you're going to get confused. You're going to struggle of being like, do I like that measure better because it accommodates me? Or do I like this measure because it's the truth? Put yourself physically and mentally in the right place. Don't avoid church meetings, confessions, whatever it is that helps you when you're in your funk. I do that. I'm so guilty of that. When I'm not in the mood, right? I'm like, I'm lucky that I have a father now that kind of tries to force me because when I get into my funks, I'm like, everybody stay away from me. I don't want to hear anything holy. I don't want to see anything holy. I'm committed to my sin. Please, everybody get lost. That's me until this day right? But when we do that, you don't get help. You don't have a, a, a source of, of, of goodness, a source of grace coming in, right? This is part of guarding the senses of touch. Watch where your body goes and take it where it should and take it away from where it shouldn't, right? You, this is part of the, part of the work. Um, the brothers asked an elder, how is it that God in the scriptures promises good things to the soul And yet the soul doesn't want them. He's asking the question that we all ask, right? He's saying, okay, how is it that, you know, um, the the, the Bible says, here are all these good spiritual things that you're going to get. And that the soul is saying, I don't really want that. This monk is being so real. Like a lot of people don't realize how real the desert fathers were, right? We're just like, I'm not in the mood. I don't want to feel prayer. I don't want to feel grace. I don't really care about your purity. Not interested. Right? This is what he's asking. And the elder answers him saying, my opinion is that the soul hasn't tasted the good things which are above and therefore the good things which are here on earth are dear to it. He's so insightful. He's, he's actually so real. He's saying, yeah, there are things that feel enjoyable and those are the only things you've tasted. So it's like somebody who's addicted to food that's trying to become healthy saying, I don't want to eat healthy. And then another person saying, yeah, I know because junk food tastes good. It does. And it's nice that you're able to eat whatever you want, whenever you want. That feels good. It does. You just haven't, you haven't felt what health tastes like yet. If you felt what health tasted like, you wouldn't want it as much. And so that's where you're at right now right? So, so, so insightful, right? Physically and mentally place yourself in the right places. Um, Or a lot more aggressively is St. Basil, come to your senses, people. (laughs) Don't behave like children, like foolish children, actually, who smash their writing tablets when they are rebuked, or rip apart their father's clothes when he sends them away from the table to teach them a lesson, or scratch their own mother's face with their fingernails. 
Storms at sea test the metal of the ship's captain just as the arena does the athlete. The battle line, the soldier, calamity, the magnanimous, and times of trial, the Christian. Right? Like, don't throw a tantrum. Right? Just get through it. Right? So whether you want the soft one for the first Abba or you prefer the St. Basil tell you off, whichever your preference is, like, get up and, and, and do something. Um, next... Know yourself. St. Anthony, the best saying of all time. He who knows himself knows God. Abraham, Abba Shishoy's disciple, said to Abba Shishoy, Father, if there happened to be a congregation, a liturgy, a synaxis on the Sabbath or on Sunday, and a brother drinks three cups of wine, is that too much? The old man said to him, if Satan didn't exist, three cups wouldn't be too much. But since he exists, three cups are too much. I don't know if you know why I'm saying that, right? He's saying the wine itself wasn't wrong. But because the devil exists, it can be wrong. And the knowing yourself part is it might be too much for you. Okay, um, I'm going to come back to this, this in a second. They used to say about Abba Dioscorus, not the Pope, that his bread was made of barley and lentils, and that at the beginning of each year, he would set himself some new task of ascetic excellence, saying, this year, I will not hold converse or conversation with or visit any man. I'm not saying you need to do this. this these are, are specifically monastic exercises, but the concept is the same for all of us. Um, or, or I won't speak at all, or I won't eat food that has been boiled, or I won't eat fruit, or I won't eat vegetables. He began each year with resolutions of this kind and carried them out, and each year he set himself some new task. Why am I using that to say with the know yourself? Is saying part of the knowing yourself, because the know yourself is a whole life's work. It means a billion different things, not just one, okay? is to say, okay, I'm addicted to food. That's me. I need to work on that, right? It's saying I am more prone to lust maybe than others. So maybe I shouldn't have these apps that other people can have just fine. Maybe having Instagram um, and Twitter is making me check out every single um, body that appears on my screen and I am not able to do that. Then maybe my task for the year is I'm going to get rid of this app. Maybe that's going to be permanent. No problem. Not because the app is intrinsically wrong. Not because people who use the app are intrinsically stupid. It's saying, I, so-and-so, struggle with this. Therefore, this, for me, is dangerous. I, so-and-so, am prone to always giving my opinion, welcome or unwelcome, my rule or not my rule. Consequently, I will practice silence, obviously with guidance, right? But it's this knowing yourself is that you need to know your strengths and your weaknesses. One of the fathers asked Abba Antony, sorry, asked a friend of Abba Antony, what is the best work um, for me to do? What's the best thing that I could do? And he answered, not all kinds of work are the same for everyone. Right, because we tend even spirituality to copy everybody. He's saying it's not the same for everybody. 
The Bible says that Abraham loved caring for strangers, right? Abuna Joe has this gift, this hospitality, and that God was with him. Elijah loved a life of silent contemplation, and God was with him. Those are this, the Father Lazaruses of the world. David was a humble man, and God was with him, the Murad brothers, right? Everybody has these different things, and these are our doors. So it's not just knowing your weakness, it's also knowing your strength, right? It's knowing what brings you joy and focusing on that. That helps free you from this captivity because you won't be feeling angry or sad or down when you go to do something else. You're going to be joyous, right? If you love serving people in a particular way, you're not like, oh man, I don't get to sin right now because I'm going to go do this thing that I love. No, you're going to be so happy because it's this thing that you love. And so you're going to be like, man, that was, that was fun, right? So find out those, 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 those things that you do. Find out what are your triggers. Find out what helps you. And when you pay attention to these things, you're going to know how to fight long term. Because you'll be able to say, oh, I've been in this headspace before. I know what this is like. Whenever I get into this space, it's best for me to do this. You start to develop experience, right? Of being like, this is the time when I need to have people around me. This is the time where actually I need to close down and get some silence. It means that I've been spending too much time with people. This is the time where I need to do this. You're going to start having experience and you'll know, and things won't take you captive. Um, I'm trying to keep on relating it to the title because these are all related to that, right? Um, So know yourself with all that that means. Next, I won't spend a long time on it because I just had a whole talk on this like a couple of weeks ago and I'm not going to rehash. Constancy. I think this is one of the biggest problems why people are captive is no one wants to exercise constancy. Iltizam in Arabic. Um, an old man used to say, pay attention to this. An elder used to say, we do not advance because we do not know our capacity. We don't have sufficient patience in the work that we start. And we wish to possess spiritual excellences without working for them. And we go from place to place and expect to find some spot where Satan is not there. And then when we see the temptation of Satan in that place that we have come, that we've been called to, well, he who knows what the war is remains. The rest walk away. Constancy. Constancy, constancy, constancy. I'm not talking about consistency. I'm talking about constancy. They are two different things. Consistency is a repetition of a habit. Constancy is remaining. They're different things. If you always get up and go the minute there's a warfare as though there's going to be a place where Satan isn't, good luck to you. Good luck to you. You have to stay where you are, right? You have to be able to do that or you will be a captive. You become a captive to you again. You become a captive to the devil and he's going to have a field day with you. These are those people who are like, no, 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 I know my issue. I just need to move. I just need to switch jobs. I need to just end this thing. I need to get a new service. I just need, I just need, and you keep on inventing the, these external solutions 
Because how did this Abba end the quote? For the kingdom of God is within you. If you don't fix it on the inside, oh, you can try and fix any externals you want. It's not going to happen. Externals matter. I'm not discounting them. But you need to be constant from within or you'll be captive. Right? Where you're going to, because if you say, oh, you know what the issue is? It's just that I'm working with this guy and, you know, he's not a bad guy, but he just really triggers me. So I need to find a service elsewhere. You go find the service elsewhere when the issue really was your, your ego and you're not committed um, to fighting your ego. And then you go there and then suddenly um, somebody else provokes you and you're like, oh, out of the frying pan into the fire. I didn't realize I was going to deal with this guy. Boom, 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 boom. Constancy, constancy, constancy. Abba, An Abba Pambo asked the greatest saint in the whole world, Abba Antony, saying, what do I do? And Abba Antony said to him, Put no confidence in your own righteousness. Number one, don't think much of yourself. Number two, don't regret or think too much about something in the past. Don't beat yourself up. Don't sit there living in whatever you did. Move on. Don't live in the state of regret. Third, constancy. Be persistent in restraining your tongue and your belly. Right, this person's particular warfare was connected to those two passions. I mean, those two passions are related to a whole bunch of things. But be constant in those things. Um, and finally, the last heading. All this is focused on the work that you have to do. But you're not working alone. Now, I'm emphasizing those because our generation seems to not believe in a work. Um, on the one extreme, um, or they're obsessed with the personal works on the other extreme. Okay, these are the two extremes that we live in, but we live in synergy with God. So the last heading is grace. Okay, one, an old man used to say, one of the fathers used to relate that he had an old man in his cell who performed many ascetic works. So he was doing the work and who clothes himself in a palm leaf mat, which is uncomfortable. And the old man went to see Abba Amun, who noted that he wore a palm leaf mat. And he said to him, this palm mat you're wearing, it's not gonna get you anything, okay? So the mat makes you uncomfortable, it helps you like not live in comfort. I'm sure some people might have been doing it to show off, but it was also an ascetic practice. So the, this elder saying, that's not doing anything for you. And so the elders answered him saying, he didn't defend himself. He said, you know, three thoughts distress me. They're troubling me. Should I go to the desert? Should I go into exile? Like, like expel myself and live in solitude outside of the monastery? Or should I shut myself up in my cell and receive no man? and eat once every two days, he started asking, what is the ascetic work that I should do? Abba Amun said to him, you are unable to do any of these things. You're not able to do any of these. This is above your pay grade. Go sit in your cell. Eat a very little food each day. Be moderate. And, and, and this is why he's 
a disciple of, of Antony, because Amon was a disciple of Antony, because Abba, Antony is all about discernment, moderation. Let there be in your heart always the word of the publican, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Okay? And you shall be able to live. Ask God for help. Do your part and ask God for help. Something that bars so many people from grace, because you might say, I ask for grace and I don't get it. I fear saying this because I'm so guilty of this and I've suffered so much from it. One of the biggest obstacles to grace is judgment. Judgment makes us lose grace. Not because God stops giving, although he can, he can in some cases, because if, if, if imagine if your dad is giving you money and you're like a special amount of money, not just the general grace of God, but a specific gift. And you're taking that gift, a special gift, and saying, ha ha ha, daddy loves me more than you because you're an idiot, right? Then daddy stops giving you that money, right? Because if he was giving you a special help, I'm not talking about the general grace of God. I'm talking about specific gifts that God gives, which is biblical. There are specific gifts of the spirit like St. Paul talks about that some people have and others have different ones. They're not all the same. But if I judge people, God have mercy. You will not find strength. You will not find help. You won't. Rake your brains and ask. I had an elder once. I'll tell you, this is, this is me on blast. God reposed his soul, Abun Antonius a giant. He had the gift of, of knowing minds, had so many gifts. This man um, didn't have a smartphone. He would only turn on his cell phone once a week for an hour. I was having a warfare. I was serving in Hawaii and I was on, I was on a down and I was sitting down at night and I was really, really, really struggling. And out of nowhere for the first time, Abuna Tunis calls me and he goes, Abuna Habibi, Habibi, are you struggling with insert warfare here? And it was exactly what I was struggling with. Right? So I laughed and I was like, yeah, Abuna I am. Um, and he goes, yeah, yeah. Malish, like, too bad, Habibi. And he, like, said some words of consolation. And then he goes, do you know why? And I was like, tell me. <laughs> I clearly have no idea. And he goes, you know, sometimes, sometimes we judge people without even realizing it. And sometimes, and he started listing a bunch of things. And I, I promise you, I promise you, as he said each one, it was like a movie playing in my mind because I genuinely didn't think I had done those things. I had been trying not to judge. I didn't think I had been. And as he's saying it, there's this movie playing in my mind where I'm seeing every scenario of exactly what he was saying that I was not aware that I was doing. And I, I put my head down. I'm like, thank you, Abba. I did. I did. I did all of those things. He says, okay, cheer up. God is with you. God is with you. Try not to do that. It'll affect you, right? And I had been, I had been comparing myself to this other Abuna. Uh, I had been criticizing his methodology and it had nothing to do with me. It wasn't, there's nothing wrong, first of all, with what he's doing. Second of all, it's none of my business. 
none of my business what he's doing. He's serving God. I'm serving God. What's it to me what he's doing? Why do I feel the need to sit there assessing him? Right? I felt that I had the right. I had no right to. Right? And so that was became the means of grace by removing this obstacle, by seeing clearly, by the water being purified. Okay? Then the grace would come in. Here's another saying from, from, from Theophan der Klus that I really, really like. You tell me that you are subject to distraction. This is the first attack of the enemy, which is harmful for our inner order. I'm using this because it goes through all the steps that you guys have talked about in the last three weeks. Um, when you enter into communication with other people or busy yourself with secular affairs, do so in such a way that you still remember the Lord at the same time. Keep the remembrance of the Lord with you at all times, even in secular things. Act and speak always with the awareness that the Lord is near and directs everything according to his pleasure. Get over yourself. God do his thing. Therefore, if there's something that requires your attention, prepare yourself beforehand so you will not be withdrawn from the Lord in the course of attending to it. That was the whole bring your mind into it that we were talking about earlier. But will remain in his presence all the while. You're never separate from God. You should pray to be granted this. Ask for this. It is certainly possible to acquire this habit. Simply make it a rule from now on always to act in this way. This second snare of the enemy that prevents us from dwelling within, being that keeps us in captivity, in other words, is the cleaving of the heart to some particular thing and its captivation by this object. This is exactly what we're talking about, this captivity. This is worse than distraction. This is worse than that first step that Gunajo was talking about. Captivation of this type, this is not just a, a, a disturbance, this is captivity, did not in fact happen in your case and you were soon, soon returned to your former condition. But if your heart had cleaved to something, you would have had a long, drawn-out struggle to shake yourself free. That's all that we've been talking about so far. I'm going somewhere with this. In that case, it would be necessary first to tear the heart away from the thing it was cleaving to, and secondly, to engender a revulsion against it. That's all we were talking about, and that requires so much work. That's confession. That's being um, in a, a state of discipleship. This is the final line. Keep this in mind and protect yourself in every way against distraction and still more against captivation of the heart. The remedy is one and the same. Not to let the attention withdraw from the Lord and from consciousness of his presence. Make God present in even your captivity. And he can liberate you. Because if in your captivity you look at yourself only, you clearly don't have the remedy. Or you wouldn't be there. You wouldn't be there. And so you need to do your part. There's no, no denying there's work to do. That's why I start with the work. But in that dark place, ask the Lord to turn on the light. Because he is the light. And when the light is on, you can see, and now you can be released. And he will work with you. Because when St. Beshoi was in his captivity, he looked at the Lord in his captivity and said, Lord, what do I do? And he said, don't do this. You're tied. Stop struggling against these binds, and then you'll be released. I'm here to release you. 
And I'm telling that if you do this, sometimes there'll be an act of grace. I've experienced this in my, in my own life. I didn't believe this because my father confession going up would always be like, God's grace can step in any time and stop this. And I'm like, yeah, it's been like 20 years and it ain't happened yet. Where I got to experience that, where actually God did just say, enough, enough. This one's over for you. But if I make God present where I am in my captivity, oh my Lord, this is how saints become saints. Because then you even benefit from your captivity. You'll have a story to say, in my captivity, I learned this. And then your captivity becomes a source of strength and help to others to do the work of God with others. Of saying, yes, I know. I know what you struggle with. And I know how hard it is to say no. And I know how like dogs become licking back our own vomit. We do this. We do it willingly and gladly. But the Lord is good. The Lord is good and the Lord is with us in our darkness. And the Lord doesn't look at us with disgust when we eat our vomit. No, he doesn't. He mourns over and for us and with us. In the words of St. Discourus, I love the saying like, of, of our patriarch. He is with us, like us, and for us. It's one of the most beautiful like, sayings. The grace of God is presence when we allow God to be presence, when we become aware of his presence. God's grace is sufficient. God's grace works with us. Right? God's grace is so important. And so what we need to do is have this aspect of little by little. Right? A certain elder sent out a monk to work and sent him to this big field and said, clean it. There's weeds, briars, everything everywhere. And he left him for a day, two, three. And then the Abba comes back and finds the guy asleep in the field. And he said, what are you doing? And he's like, it's just so much work. It's just so much work. And the elder's like, if you had just you know, slowly taking a small quadrant every day. And so I'm just going to do this square today. I'm going to do just this square today. You would have, you would have gotten it done before you knew it. It would have been done, right? So this is the, the, the aspect of, of, of work. But I'm adding to it, forgive me for my presumptuousness. If that monk had thought, my Abba is with me, I wonder if he would have went to sleep. God is always present. But is your heart constant with him? Are you in relation? So I'm just going to end with an analogy and a, and a quote. I'm sorry I went like 10 minutes over. I'm sorry I, I always end up talking too much. Remember you're at war. You're at war. And in a war... There's work to be done. You have to do the exercises needed to make you a good soldier. Because you're not just fighting for your own life. You're fighting for your whole cause. For your co-soldiers, for your nation, for whatever it is. You're fighting for all of that, not just yourself. That's why your spiritual life matters. This analogy is so useful in your spiritual life more than you might think. It's not just about you. If you know yourself, you might know my left arm is weak, okay? I, I can't be on the front lines um, holding a javelin with my left. I'm injured. I, I can't. If, if it's my right arm, I'm not going to be an archer. That's not the right place for me. I'm going to die. If there are exercises I can do to strengthen my right arm, I'll do it. 
but I might not be the guy who's doing archery. Maybe I need to be a sprinter. I need to be a spy, scoping it out, finding out from on the top, where's everybody? I'm good at stealth. Knowing your strengths, knowing your weaknesses. Okay? But then at the same time, understanding that if I'm faithful, if I'm constant in war, then my general, the Lord God of hosts himself, may say, I can trust you with these special gifts because you're faithful. You're faithful. Okay? So I'm giving a special gift of exhortation so that you can keep the morale up of the people around you. You, I'm giving you a sharp mind that you can plan the battles. You're not the social guy, you're the planning guy. You, you've got speed. You need to go do this for the team. You, you've got this. You, you've got this. And he gave everyone, every single one of us something. He gives grace to every single one of us. Right. But know that if you get injured in battle, you're a hero. You're not a failure. You're a hero. If you die in battle, you're a martyr. Right? You died for the cause. And heaven and earth view you magnanimously. That's how you get your picture up on the wall. Right? We don't celebrate St. Moses the Black's fornication. We celebrate his victory through Christ as a means of hope for us. Right? We don't celebrate St. Mary of Egypt's adultery. We don't celebrate St. Beshoi's wrath. We celebrate their victories. And we take comfort in their falls because we learned from their battles. Where now we're looking at St. Beshoi and saying, thank you for telling us you struggled with anger. We look at these other fathers and say, thank you for telling us you struggled with your ego. Because that's how we get out of this, this captivity. So don't despair. There's glory in the fight. Um, I'll end with this quote. Their disgrace and affliction, affliction being whatever your captivity is, in the name of Jesus with humility and a troubled heart, and show before him your weakness, your feebleness, and he will become unto you might. Glory be to God forever. Amen. Um, any Questions and comments you can direct at Abuna. I got one privately I can read out and maybe some of the fathers can jump in. Would be great. Um, Abuna, I feel like there's a tension between constancy and staying where you are versus knowing your triggers and trying to flee them. Um, you were saying when we know we need to be with people or we need to be silenced. Um, uh, sorry, I meant to ask, how do we thread the needle between them? That requires a lot of brute honesty okay um because you may know yourself well and you also might not be able to handle something actually so the balance that needs to be found is between pushing myself harder and also knowing when i'm trying to do too much more than i can actually handle which is actually a right hand war of presumptuousness actually um, and the key here is in having a good Abba to open up and say, here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm feeling and being so raw 
right? Like being so raw. That's what I mean about knowing yourself, right? As being like, no, I actually just hate this person, period. It's actually not the warfare. It's not general. I just don't like them. Because then you might need to specifically be with them more. Or it might be, um, it's not that I hate this person, but this specific weakness that they have is one of my greatest pet peeves. And so I go wild, right? Like I was talking to Buna Joseph about this the other day, right? Where I have a weakness that once somebody tries to like swallow me, or that's how I perceive it. They might not even intend to be doing that. But once I feel like somebody is trying to own me and they're doing it in love, right? They're not even doing it because they hate me. They're doing it because they like me. I get so aggressive, right? I start pushing back and I get hostile. I get super cold, right? And so there are two different scenarios where it's like, no, I don't dislike that person. I hate this behavior and they don't even mean it. They, they, they're trying to love me. Right? So it's about being raw and opening up. So I know that's not a good answer, but that's where the real balance is, is about opening up and then go getting that specific guidance to know, is this there? But make sure that you're talking to someone who gets it. Because I just, I'm, I'm not saying that some priests get it, some people don't. I mean, that's probably true. But just that don't be looking for a yes man. Because we tend to sometimes just get a, an answer of, no, 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 you do you and, and, and you need to have your whatever, like, no, challenge yourself. That's why I come back to the gospel and ask, what is the gospel asking from me? And am I doing it? That's why step number one was think the right way. That's true repentance. What is the gospel asking me to do? Sorry, I know that wasn't a, a great answer. Feel free to follow up if I'm missing the, the substance. I'm sorry. Um... Can the fathers please jump in? Because I feel like I'm blabbering like crazy. Buna, if anybody is sending you messages directly, um, please feel free to answer those. And uh, anybody else who wants to participate can either send a message to Abuna privately or post it publicly or just simply unmute yourselves. Please feel free. Okay. I have, I have a question. Hi. Uh... Hi, everyone. It's, uh, it's Peter. I don't know if you remember me. Um, Yo, dog. It's good. And thanks so much for this um, this uh, talk. It was, it was really eye-opening. Um, I So basically, I'm wondering, uh, seeing as how we're um, living in very, like, different times, like, we have a lot more, I don't know, for, like, most people, for, at least for my case, uh, I'm always home. Like, I, it's easier for me, like, it's harder for me to, like, have a plan, I guess, every day, even with work, because like you're just at home and you get distracted and stuff. Um, I was wondering, like, so like I'd say my biggest, um, uh, my biggest problem is my. So I don't want to call it an addiction, but it's almost like it's it's. I'd say it's like borderline addiction. But basically, I play a lot of video games, and I've always known this. Like honestly, I never tried to hide it. I knew that myself that like. For the longest time I play an unhealthy amount of video games and it's usually like I would usually always pick it over like hanging out with friends or doing anything else but now like recently I went through sort of like a depression like period and I and God really like opened my eyes to like um like how this depression period is caused by me 
trying to like find a reason to like keep playing video games like basically like i knew that it was wrong to play that many that amount of video games and always putting it first and now like i'm slowly starting to accept the fact that i'm gonna have to let it go entirely even if if that's what i i need to do um so basically my question is um how do you like know if you have to like give up something entirely even though that thing isn't necessarily like sinful like video games aren't necessarily sinful it depends on like what type of video game or like uh, if it has any imagery that can conjure up like sinful thoughts like how do you know like if you have to completely give up on something that is controlling your life or if you have to like find moderation in it i guess is my question yeah that was deep um, <laughs> um, I'm always going to come back to the answer of guidance and it's not a cop-out because um, there needs to be someone helping supervise because sometimes we go too extreme um, and that can tire us and sometimes we go too easy on ourselves and we get more enslaved. So there's, there's, there's both. So one is, is I, would, I would go to someone, whether it's a priest or a mentor, um, but preferably somebody who's older um and experience because um if we talk to somebody who's kind of going through it ourselves then it can be um poor advice so number one is guidance but in general um part of it is with that whole honesty thing right so there are people who are able to set things in moderation right so for example um let's say you were to try to use your example of saying you know what let me attempt can I do one hour of video games a day as opposed to the like six plus that I might be spending or two hours, right? Let me see if I can reduce. Um, and can I be consistent with that? Because if I am, two things are going to happen. One is like, okay, good. I'm able to get this a little bit in control. Okay. But number two is that let's say you were playing six hours and you now reduce it to two. You have four hours now that are not on a video game. So these are now four hours where you can discover more things about yourself, the whole knowing yourself part. What else do I like to do? Because part of your addiction to video games might not all be negative. It might be because you're good at it. Right? And so people who are good at things like to do them. Right? If I'm good at... Enjoy doing it, right? If I'm good at gardening or handiwork, um, I'm gonna enjoy doing it. But if I'm not good at it, I don't. So in those four hours where you're not doing that, it's like, what can I do? Explore yourself, explore your hobbies, and if possible, try and direct them at others, right? And then you might find that the grip of the video game becomes less, right? And then you might be able to say, okay, you know what, I'm gonna spend less time on it because I'm actually enjoying all these other things too. But I'm glad you were able to recognize your sadness. That's a very deep spiritual insight, like you have no idea, at the idea of leaving something. That's so real, right? Where it's this thing that we all struggle with, and I'm glad that you're not masking it. Because most of us mask that feeling. And say, no, 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 it's not that I don't want to stop. It's just that in another way, this is helpful. 
Uh, and I could be doing other things that are work, and we, we have all these reasons why we should continue. So your honesty by itself is gonna help you immensely um, with that battle. Um, and so that's like, have the outside guide to help you with, does it need to be zero? Because it might not need to be zero. We sometimes think that um, the answer to everything is to just go straight to zero, and that's not necessarily the answer. That's extremism, and that's why a lot of people suffer. That's why having a guide is helpful. The only thing that's absolutely wrong is something that is absolutely wrong, period. If it is not absolutely wrong, then we now need to look at the subjective experience of each individual of how it affects them. That's why I said for one person, something may be more wrong than another, depending on what their warfare is. So um, I would say explore yourself, talk to someone one-on-one -on -one if you can, um, and make somebody accountable to you. Uh, sorry, make yourself accountable to someone um, that, can, that can help steer you through. I would, some of the fathers, I, like if you guys can jump in on these, would be great. Thank you so much. That was a really good answer. Okay. I knew the Abba's. Yeah, so I have a question, Abba. Uh, let me go ahead and ask. Uh, you, you had mentioned this whole idea of, you know, if, if I'm at war, I have to recognize the fact that, you know, I have strengths, I have weaknesses, I have to play on my strengths, I have to be honest in my weaknesses. What do you tell a person or what is your counsel to a person who sometimes their, their strength is also the very source of warfare towards their greatest weakness. So let's say, for instance, um, a person has a gift and when they use it, they're very heavily tempted when it comes to a very specific sin or a passion that then destroys them and leads them to this judgment that you spoke about that can completely remove grace or block out the work of grace. What do you do when they're both so intimately tagged together? Obedience. Obedience. Obedience saves us from that warfare, right? The Desert Fathers are brilliant. Like, I wish that we would, we would come back to them because obedience protects you from the warfare of left and right, right? My, my spiritual father growing up, I told him I, I was addicted to, like, service personally, right? So he I was like, when I don't understand it, I, I go from one extreme to the other. On the one hand, I'm like, who do you think you are? you're so bad, how could you serve? How could you do this and this and this and this? And on the other hand, I'm like, good job, that was pretty good, way to go. You're awesome, right? And so he was like, they're both the devil and the answer is the same to both of them. I'm doing this because my Abba told me to. Don't dialogue, right? Step one and two of what Joe talked about was the sales pitch and the dialogue and the disturbance. Right, so it's to arrest it from step one and say, not interested, I'm not doing this because I'm good and I'm not doing it because I'm bad. I'm just me and I'm doing what I'm told. So it's, it's bringing it under subjection to the truth, right? The truth is the biggest liberator. Whenever we come to truth, we are freed. Naming it, of saying, I'm thinking this, this is what's going on. Then we're, we're liberated right away. Um, can you give us an example of including God in our, in our captivity? Yeah, it, like it's, it's about always knowing that God is there. And even in the most disturbing way that you might think is gross, but it's not. I would suggest that even if you are in the act of committing adultery, 
forgive me for going straight there. You are sleeping with someone that you say in the act while you're there, God, I know you're here and I'm sorry. Forgive me. But I'm going to get up. It's to speak to him always, everywhere. It's to always be in the presence of God. It's to become living prayer, even in your sins. Think about, for example, just to, to make it maybe, quote unquote, more practical. I do think that's practical, but um, think about your family. Your spouse, your children, your parents, whoever. When it comes to our immediate family, we tend to not be guarded. We're okay with throwing a tantrum, whereas we won't do that publicly, right? We're okay to be sarcastic. We're okay to do all sorts of sins, many of which we tend to not do in public. We're in our own skin with our family. So what I'm proposing is God is more than that. He's always there. Right? And so by, by being that all the time, your whole disposition changes. Right? Because now you're not acting like you're operating in, in incognito mode. You're not. There's always somebody present. Um, direct your thoughts, your activities, your actions. Make him present. When you're about, like St. Theophan the Recluse was saying, he's a, like a wonderful spiritual writer. Um, I think he's my favorite from the Eastern tradition. But um, is that he was emphasizing this whole concept of prepare before you go. Right? You're going to go out to a meeting. That's not, and he said even secular. Right? He's not saying, no, 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 make it only a religious meeting. He's saying, no, you're going to go chill with your friends. No problem. God, I'm going to go chill with friends. Are you ready? Let's go. Right? Then you're chilling with your friends. God, what do you think? Right? Where in your mind, your thoughts are not directed at a person. I don't know how to, I, I hope that's answering it. Um, Abbas, do you guys have advice on how to do that? Like, yeah, he speaks about practice. keeping the mind in the heart. That is to say, I think an aspect of that is keeping the mind always with God, right? I mean. Elaborate, Abba. No, because you, you mentioned Abba Theophan and he keeps on talking, you know, I think in every single page he's ever written, there's something about keeping the mind and the heart. That is to say, with heartfelt feeling, as he says, um, I mean, you, you gave the example beautifully, right? Like, God is there wherever you're at, even during the act of sin itself. I think I, th I think we don't do that enough. I think we. I'll speak for myself. I, I think I put myself at the center most of the time, as opposed to him, being at the center of all things. Where there's no more religious or secular, formal or informal, family or stranger, it's just, you know, God becomes always there. You know, the liturgy never ends. God is always there. <laughs> well, can I ask a question? Because uh, um. I'm trying to place what is being said right now with what Father Joseph talked to us about with the dangers of giving that sin any attention. If I recognize God's presence even in my sin and I say that I am sorry for the sin that I am committing and at the same time I have to be careful not to pay any attention to that sin or recognize it for what it is or else that might actually be the process of coupling in and of itself. 
it becomes this very complicated, like it requires so much self-awareness that like, how do I practically do this? How, how do I recognize that God is present even in my sin and speak to him about what I am doing and I apologize for it or recognize his presence while at the same time not feeding it? Where, what do I do here? That's where I think the spiritual father needs to give exercises of disciplining the mind. Right? Like this is again why the desert fathers are, are beasts of saying, how do I tame the mind, which is asceticism. Right? That's why I'm saying this, this, this topic is loaded because one of the asceticisms is the discipline of the mind, which has this whole bunch of things. Right? How do I do that? How do I come to that? How do I keep the remembrance of God? Um, that involves so many things. That involves like a daily practice. Or, like it requires thought stuff that requires action after fall like there's a whole bunch of of things involved so i mean i don't have any like to to me it'd be hard to not just then go into a whole lecture about that but if you guys have quick tips then please please go for it i want to joe you gave that talk so can you differentiate that uh yeah i think that i think when i'm saying don't give attention to the suggestion or the or the provocation, that's at the very beginning stage. You haven't sinned yet. So you're not giving it attention at that stage. But if you have already gone into coupling and to ascent, and then you're in ascent, and uh, Father Anthony Paul is telling us to, at that moment, in ascent to turn to God or in captivity to turn to God, then yeah, you have to. You can't pretend like you're not sinning. Of course, you have to become aware that you're sinning and then turning to God at that moment. But if you're not in ascent or captivity, or if you're, you haven't sinned, then the very movement of turning to God is the movement of turning away from the suggestion. Turning away from the mm -hmm. suggestion is the turning to God at that point. So I think they're not contradictory. I think that it's just different stages of, of sin. So if it's just a suggestion, I'm not interested, and then you turn to God actually mind and heart like Bonacrolos was saying but if you are in the middle of sinning it's to remember that even while you're in the middle of sin that God that Christ is there present and even while you're there you can turn to him and there tell him where you're at for real <laughs> um there's a few more here um when you guys need to go just tell me because I, I I don't want to bore you guys um you spoke about watching our mind, but when dealing with anger, it is sometimes difficult to do that, especially if you're in the heat of the moment. How can I be cognizant of my actions? I need to bring my mind back. Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. What, what we often lack is the pause button, right? And so that's why I, I think daily um, self-reflection and regular confession are helpful because what I would suggest as a general thing, right, is to say, okay, how do I react when I'm angry? Because I might not be able to immediately stop at the beginning. That takes some work, right? And so let's say I usually start yelling. Then it's like, okay, I've yelled. I've done my thing. It's like, okay, now stop and say on the, in the moment, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have reacted like this. Um, I need to step out for a minute. 
because I'm worried that I'm going to keep yelling because I'm doing something wrong. Right? So it's to step out. Then it's to confess our sins one to another. The Bible, I, I don't think was talking only about priests, but confessing our sins one to another, right? Of being able to say, I have a problem that I get angry really easily. So help me out here. If you catch me losing my tone, um, I need your help having me pause. Right? Um, that's actually a very, very useful thing. I've done that, for example, forget anger. Um, I used to use the word retarded until somebody pointed out how offensive that was because her brother um, is retarded. Right? So then I would say to people, I'm like, I'm trying to stop saying this word. I'm not talking about whether you guys do or don't do. I'm trying to stop. Every time I do it, please stop me. Bringing attention to it helped me become aware of it in the moment, right? In the moment, correcting it right away of saying, I didn't want to say that. I said it. I meant to say this. It starts to bring the mind into things again. It takes you off of autopilot by bringing the thought again to it. Um, and again, That's a really good one. Sorry? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry I interrupted. I do that a lot. Uh, Call me out. I'm so sorry. No, my my bad. No, no, I'm sorry. So it, it just, it slows you down. Right. And so again, we're talking about like when Joe was saying, when you're in a ascent captivity, right, it is good to not give it attention in, in the first moments, like I agree hundred percent. Right. But when you're ready at these later stages, that's when to say, no, stop, think what's the gospel say. So those are, those are the things that I like I can do. I don't know if the fathers have other tips for that. Well, I think there's a difference between giving it attention in the form of coupling because you're actually negotiating with it, negotiating with it in agreement. Whereas when you do the, 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 the pause technique or the confession on the spot, you know, when you were mentioning, Oh, I just did that. I'm so sorry. Or, you know, if I'm in a certain environment, I find myself automatically dropping F bombs every second word. Well, a, a really good practice in as much as insofar as it might be embarrassing or you know um, awkward in that environment is to say sorry after you've you said a cuss word you know um, that confession on the spot is extremely extremely powerful in first of all pausing and encouraging and strengthening your watchfulness your guarding for future times and in in purifying on the spot you know, and the, the, the quality of, of paying it attention in that sense is, is actually combating it. Whereas the quality of giving it attention in the earlier stages is enabling it, you know, and allowing it to take deeper roots. Yeah. I think, I think part of the problem is, um, is recognizing how much, you know, ego and pride has to play with the level of, you know, turning back so quickly, you know, if I fall into a very specific sin, and then I hate myself for falling into it, this idea of turning to God in the moment is so ridiculously embarrassing, because I'm giving myself up, right? It's like coming to him while the stains are still there, coming to him while the, 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 the stench of that sin is still on me. And somehow, what I don't realize is that I don't want to go to him like that. I would rather go to him after I wash up and then tell him, listen, a few days ago I messed up, right? As if somehow that's, that's good. And what, really what that's telling me is that, I'm, again, I'm making it about me because instead of reconciling the relationship and turning to him for healing, what I really am saying is that I think I would have a little bit more honor if I stood before him 
when I've watched the stenshaf, when I've removed the stain, when I think somehow that this is more acceptable before God, rather than turning to him in the moment where, again, my, my hands are stained with the blood, where the stench is still on me, uh, because I'm making it about me. I don't want him to see me in this condition. And that, that's, that sentence itself is a demonstration of the fact that I don't realize that he was there. I don't realize that his presence was with me. Yeah, and also I think that's the definition of that act, that, that, uh, that act of saying, okay, when I'm better, I'll go see the doctor, right? As if, as if I could clean myself, as if I'm the one who can cure myself, as if I'm the one who can patch myself up or sew myself up or, or in any way administer a cure or an antidote myself. He is the healer. The sick person, he is the source of all healing. I, in fact, when I go to him more conscious of my sin, I'm able to more effectively and on a higher level of quality, it, you know, pour out my complaint and expose my, 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 my scar, my disease, my, my festered wound in front of him. And him, as the lover of man and as the physician of our souls and our bodies, is able to administer the proper healing, as he did with Ambab Shoy. Placing confidence in my own righteousness, as Abba Anthony the Great says, is, is precisely what Otsak just, what just, what Otsak just, just mentioned. When I'm righteous, I'll go to him for forgiveness. <laughs> when I'm cured, I'll go to him for a cure. The ridiculousness of that is, is immediately made manifest when you think about it. Right? Uh, it's, it's, you know, no one, as Baba Krullo says, no one, no one says, when I feel better, I'll go to the doctor. You know, there's so much, uh, there's so much taken for granted there, as if I'm the one who can heal myself. And by saying that, I say, well, I don't need Christ. I just want to be happy with my ego and my own self-righteousness when I stand before him and said, look at me, aren't I a good boy? Yeah. Yeah. Do you guys have time? There's three more questions. Can we take one more, Abby? Because there's an actually, an, this, this account is going to be used by someone very shortly. So I have to log us off uh, in a few minutes. So we'll take one more, please. Okay, no problem. Um, the next one is, what if the very things that bring you happiness and bring you closer in relationship with God are the same things that have the potential to ignite your passions? For example, reading patristics and theology is something very edifying, but at the same time recognizing that can be an exercise in ego. How can we best navigate these situations? That's a really good question because you're right, right? Like that we can use a good thing in the wrong way, right? We can be reading patristics to club people with the truth and to sound intellectual, right? And we can also um, use the gospel in the name of arrogance too, and be like, well, I might not know Athanasius, but at least I'm spiritual, right? Like everybody can use anything in a right and wrong way. That's why the, the framing question always has to be, we said at the beginning, what is the truth, right? How do I see clearly? Um, how is the car supposed to function? Um, what is health? Because I can use my arm to pick up a piece of glass, or I can use my arm to whack my whack itself against a wall, right? And so they're both uses of my arm and one is right and one is wrong, 
right? So we have to come back to the standard of, of, of truth. How should my arm function in a healthy way, right? And for that, we have our spiritual fathers and guides. We have the Bible. We have the lives of the saints. We have um, uh, service. We have all sorts of things, right, to look at to try and find out was this a proper use or an improper use? Um, because it doesn't necessarily mean having to stop doing it, right? So it doesn't mean, for example, I'm going to stop using patristics because I have an ego, but it might just mean that, okay, I just need help with my ego, right? In the same way, for example, somebody could become a physician to be arrogant and another physician can do it to help people. The solution isn't for the arrogant person to not be a physician. It would just be, okay, no, you have a gift of intellect that you can be able to be this physician. Awesome. So let's just direct your gift towards the good, right? It would just be about steering it towards a proper use of it. It doesn't necessarily mean not using it at all, but that's a, that's a really good question. There was two more. I'm really sorry. Um, one of the people left because I know she wrote that she'll be catching it on the podcast. I'm sorry that yours are the ones that we didn't get to, but I think it was quasi answered with another person's questions to that person. And Tia, I'm sorry, I didn't get to yours. Thanks, Sabuna. Thanks, everyone. Not praying. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll find some way to pray. Uh, so, guys, this, this was the three-part series. Thank you so much, Sabuna Anthony, for, for concluding for us. This was a, lot, this was a much better discussion than, uh, than I, I would have expected at the level of someone who clearly didn't prepare. So, like, you know, despite the fact that there was no preparation and that, uh, you know, our dear father that. Anthony clearly doesn't... <laughs> Yeah, but thank God. I mean, I guess we'll have to settle for Whatever. what we got today. Um, but we, we we love him nonetheless. I mean, what can we say? And I really love <laughs> the fact that... Next time prepare, Abba. Next time prepare, okay? Yeah, shame on you, Abba. <laughs> I hate you all. Uh, I'm just going to remind everyone that we're recording. But... Uh, <laughs> um, in the Lord. <laughs> I hate you in the Lord. Yes, indeed. Uh <laughs> So now that we've concluded this series, I just want to let everybody know that God willing for the next four weeks, we're going to be starting a, a new series, which is going to be focused on what it actually means to bear the image of Christ, to be icons of Christ. So there's going to be a four part series. We're going to send out all the info very shortly. The four part series, God willing, is going to focus on um, imaging Christ. What does this actually mean in our lives? The first one is going to be speaking the truth in love, which is next week. I'll be taking the blessing of leading on that one. The second one is a life of sacrifice, and Father Paul Girgis from St. Mark's DC will be with us, and he'll be speaking to us. A life of servitude, and we're hoping that on that week, it'll be Father John Butchers from Toronto, so we're waiting to hear from him. And then finally, the last week, a life of ministry, and we're hoping to have um, Father Deacon Andrew Bennett from the Eastern Catholic Church who will be with us. So it'll be a really interesting series. We'll be posting all the information very soon, and hopefully you guys can come and join us on that. Uh, thank you again, Abuna Anthony Paul, for today. Thank you, Father Joseph and Father Carlos, for leading us the previous weeks. God bless all your ministries, fathers, and keep us in your prayers, please. Uh, we'll go ahead and finish with the final blessing. Abuna Carlos, can you just um, can you just pray for us, and we'll end through the intercessions of the Lady of Asal, the Theotokos Saint Mary, and all the on all the saints who have pleased you since the beginning. Especially Abba Anthony and Abba Krolos, Lord, make us worthy to pray thankfully our Father who art in heaven.
precious heart of Christ came upon the face of the Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. And with your spirit. Thank you, Abbas. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. We'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye.